The reading is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 and 18 through 26, and is on page 790 of your Pew Bible. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout the district. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. After Easter, our worship services were grounded in the Gospel of John, for the most part. And as we enter into this season after Pentecost, we come back to Matthew for the summer. And today's text is the story of Matthew's call first. It's kind of a text in two parts. That first part was about the call of Matthew, and that's a good spot for us to return to this gospel, because this story tells us as much about Jesus as any story in the gospel of Matthew, because for all that the gospel writer is going to say about the teachings and the healings and the passion of Jesus, not a whole lot of commentary has to be made to explain the meaning of what's happening in the call of Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he sees this tax collector, Matthew. Remember, tax collectors in this place and this time are basically extortion artists. Give me this much money or else. The occupying Roman government finds a local Jewish guy like Matthew and tasks him with the responsibility to collect X amount of money from his own neighbors, of course, but nobody becomes a tax collector to only gather what Rome has told them to gather. Tax collectors, like Matthew, are infamous for collecting that X amount and however much more they want for themselves. 
Roman officials don't care how much a tax collector skims off the top or what threats a tax collector might make to get what they want, so long as Rome gets what Rome wants. So again, as Jesus is walking along, he sees this Matthew at his tax booth. So it's not like Jesus doesn't know who Matthew is or what Matthew does. And Jesus says to him, follow me. To be scolded? <laughs> to be condemned, maybe? Maybe to strike him with lightning or something? No, to eat with Jesus. To be with Jesus. This guy, of all people, gets a special invitation from Jesus to become a follower of Jesus, a disciple. So, is this judgment or is it mercy? This call from Jesus to Matthew. Is Jesus testing Matthew with a command, follow me, to see if Matthew responds correctly? Or is Jesus gracing Matthew with an opportunity to leave his old ways and to follow the way? A golden ticket, if you will, despite Matthew's sins. Is this judgment or is this mercy? Lutheran as we are, it may sound like an obvious answer, but Christian siblings of ours now and the church throughout the ages have not had an easy time with that question I just asked. Is Jesus primarily, first and foremost, an agent of judgment or an agent of mercy? And I think we struggle with this question, not because the gospel writers are unclear, but because in our lives, in this world, it's almost all judgment all the time from everybody. There's very little mercy in this life. We're constantly being tested, being judged, and that's only more and more and more true as time passes. Like, when I was a student, I used to have access to my grades four times a year. Right? When the report card came home, or was sent home because I forgot to take it home. Now, our kids can see their grades in real time all the time, 24-7. Every assignment, every exam, how did I do? What's my grade now? Online posts prove themselves to either be clever and popular or failures, depending on how many clicks they get or views or likes or comments, whatever engagement. Again, in real time, all the time, we can see how we're doing socially. What's my popularity now? It's no longer a test here and a test there. Many of us remember passing a one-time driver's test, for example or taking an ACT or SAT test once, maybe twice. Tests have always evaluated competence and measured efficiency and determined productivity. They've always been able to label and sort people. But in the last couple decades, our world has gotten better and better and better at constant judgment. From grades and online popularity to credit scores, health apps, I mean, most mornings, I see whether or not I slept right <laughs> through data gained from this watch. 
whether I got the right amount of steps, whether I walk correctly. They call it walking asymmetry, and you want your number low or you walk wrong? (laughs) Sleep, nutrition, finances, social engagement, there's really no end to how many ways we can be wrong. We We can get just about everything wrong, and because everything can be done wrong, we've been conditioned to try to get everything right, thinking that right is not only possible in all circumstances, but maybe it's necessary to be a good person. The idea of being right at all times, in all places, can dominate people. And it spills into religion, for sure, as much now as ever. Maybe more than ever, actually. Not long ago, I was in conversation, not at church, but with somebody I'd never met before, somewhere else, and after they discovered my occupation, which can be an interesting moment, And more importantly, where and how I served in this capacity, that I was an ELCA pastor, which I soon learned was a red flag for this person, this person immediately described their own religious perspective, especially in relationship to a number of hot-button pop culture topics and issues, and how, well, they said it this way, quote, well, I just love that my church is right. And I wish I had Matthew 9 in mind when they said that to me the third time in 10 minutes. Because then I could have said, and I just love that not just my church, but the whole church is called by Jesus to be merciful. At its worst, the church, the people of the church become obsessed with being right, believing that being right about this or that is what it means to be righteous. As though Jesus came, not that we may have life and have it abundantly, but that we may be right and be right abundantly. Because the only way to heaven is by getting everything right, right? Being right. At its worst, the church treats this life like a pass-fail test. Is that what Jesus came for? To test us? Is Jesus primarily an agent of judgment, evaluation, or is Jesus an agent of mercy? Oftentimes our imaginations just aren't big enough to believe that Jesus could be our Lord differently than our credit score treats us, lords over us, differently than a report card evaluates us, or how our social media makes us feel insufficient. At its best, the church, the people of the church, instead of dividing themselves over who's right and, more importantly to them, who's wrong, at our best, the church remembers that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus tells the Pharisees in our text for today, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting Hosea 6.6 to these Hebrew Bible scholars, which is smart. This is a way for Jesus to speak their language. As good Pharisees, they would have known that Hosea 6 is all about God wanting an authentic relationship with God's people. Through Hosea, God rejects 
meaningless sacrifices because those sacrifices that they're making at the time of Hosea, they're all dutiful at best and for show at worst. Their worship, their sacrifices are missing the point. God doesn't want them to simply check a box. Well, we offered our weekly sacrifice. Check. God wants their worship to deepen their souls into deep wells of mercy for the sake of their neighbors. Is Jesus primarily an agent of judgment or mercy? What if instead of being obsessed with whose politics are right or whose lifestyle is wrong, what if we were most interested, most passionate about being merciful to each other? Like, what would that look like? I mean, we definitely would not all agree on what merciful means in relationship to the, the big issues of our time. It's not like we'd all agree on everything from then on because our most important value is mercy. You know, as, as we look at a, one of these big issues, poor, scared immigrants show up at our nation's borders, we're not going to all agree on what mercy exactly means for them or in that situation. But we might agree more than we currently do now. Access to health care. Who gets that? If mercy was the prevailing va value, our ideas about housing or food security or clean air or clean water, mercy is a much different value than trying to be right. If we believe Jesus came to judge, then I completely understand why followers of Jesus would seek to judge. But here in Matthew and in a lot of other places, Jesus makes it very clear. He just says it to the Pharisees. Learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Matthew, the tax collector, wasn't called to discipleship because he was right or because he was ever going to get it all right. He was given mercy that he would then be merciful. And that's our story, too. That's the point. Burdened by judgments all day, every day, God graces burdened souls with mercy that we would then be merciful. And so, yeah, we at First Lutheran live with a passion for mercy regarding the big issues of our day, not agreeing on how to treat all those, but that being the value. But even before all that big stuff, we strive to live with a passion for mercy regarding the smaller moments of our lives, the more regular, the everyday moments of our lives. You can't advocate for mercy on our nation's border far, far away, for example, and then be a jerk to your own neighbor, your actual live-next-door-to-your-neighbor. You can't very well advocate for mercy for that embattled, famous person you've never met and then be a hate-filled troll on someone's social media in an effort to put them in their place. I desire mercy is about every comment we make to each other, online or in person. It's about every kindness we can offer. It's about every generous dollar we give. It's about every thoughtful encouragement we can muster for the other. God gifts us with mercy, with God's own presence, so that we would be merciful. And I've seen you do this. I've seen you be God's mercy in our community as you show up for each other, for example. Like, we've got siblings among us who practice mercy 
by doing the very practical and very significant act of showing up at funerals, for example, or in these last few weeks at grad parties, or at a sports or an arts thing for the kids of church friends or family friends. I've seen you show up for friends and family to say, I care about you. Not just in a thoughts and prayers kind of way, but in a I give my time and effort to actually physically be present with you kind of way. That's God's kind of mercy. The, the be with you kind of mercy. To help people know they're not alone. Mercy. Not judgment. Mercy. Giving a generous tip to a server at a restaurant. If you've ever worked a long shift waiting tables, you know what kind of mercy it is to be thanked like that. Or thanking a coach or a teacher or a pastor because you know genuine thank yous are mercy, not judgment. This last year, I remember I simply said thank you to a basketball referee as he was leaving the floor and he looked at me like I was crazy because <laughs> nobody thanks him. People yell at him because he gets things wrong sometimes. In fact, that guy got a lot of things wrong. This life is about getting everything right. Mercy. Life seems to be about passing tests, being competent, being productive, being efficient, being right, which is why Jesus walks right up to the least right guy around, a tax collector, and says, follow me. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. I desire mercy. Thanks be to God. Amen.